0: Vavelul Tavshin Ayin Zion, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I, Mayor Weingarten, welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
1: i I'm <speaking> not <in foreign language> Ta will be here, you will be there.
0: Yoni Genut and Shai Gabso. a Kol Paul Tafi Alto words from uh, the Tefillah of Hashanah Yom Kippur and Slichot and so far and so forth and so on. Great one. My name is Mayor Weingart and welcome to this week's edition of the Israel Show. We're here each and every Monday. We are live. Each and every Monday, immediately following J.M. and D.A.M., 9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Israel time, and around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is, that's the time that we're on. You got that right? And we are available on demand. You can listen to us whenever you like, which is truly cool, if you think about it. You can listen to us whenever you like via the great Nahum Single Network app. You can go to the uh, archives, the Israel show. You can download it when you're in Wi-Fi so it doesn't use up your data time and then listen to it whenever you want. Lots of great possibilities. And, of course, via the Nachum Siegel Network website, com. Go to the archives and look for the Israel show, and all the Israel shows are there. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Israel show. We post great stuff. We've posted some really cool stuff lately. Uh, gotten a lot of good reaction in fact, the last thing we posted was very funny Conan o'Brien, the uh American television star is in Israel he went to israel as he, he as he says to help Jared Kushner figure out what's going on um he did a short video from from a restroom in the al plane, which is very funny. We posted that um, here and there we'll follow him along uh if we find something incredibly funny there there was another very quick clip that he did the other day and uh yesterday and he's um standing on the ro- on the terrace of his hotel room looking out at uh, the the tel aviv beach the mediterranean coast and he says it's just like miami beach just less jews so so that's what we posted and we post the uh, links to the youtube videos of the songs that we play during the show and uh, and the articles that we discuss um so it's worthwhile to give it a like And how do you do that? You go to facebook.com slash theisraelshow, facebook.com slash theisraelshow, and you click on like. It's that simple. And if you've done it already, get your friends to do it. you have any friends that are uh, into um, Israel, anything to do with Israel, history, politics, up to to date, get them to go to facebook.com slash theisraelshow and join. As promised... Sephardic Slichot songs, as we pay tribute to our Sephardic brethren, of which I am one quarter due to my mother being one half due to my grandmother being 100% my grandmother so I'm left with a quarter okay that's stuff, that's but I don't have to wake up early throughout the Chodesh Elul. this is, um a cover of probably the most famous slichot song of the Sephardic community. I don't think there's a person in Israel that doesn't know this song. <laughs> Here is David Daor's take on Adon HaSelichot. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the nahum Siegel Network. David Dor, that is awesome, wow, so beautiful, you can take an old, old tune and make it so new, and yet, not walk away, walk away from the roots, from its, from its ancient roots. My name is Mayor and you're tuned to this, your show on the Nachum Siegel Network. So we'll um, begin with our discussion regarding uh, this letter. What do we mean by this letter? On uh, April the 18th, 1978, Yur Nisan Tavshin Lamirchet, there was yeshiva of the yeshiva of Panovich, and the leader of the litvish yeshivish world, surely in Israel, Harav Eliezer Shach, wrote a letter, to Prime Minister Menachem Begin, the letter—it's a—it's uh, a pretty full letter. I mean, it's one page, but um, it encompasses a lot. The letter was not published, which is fascinating in and of itself. Ever, and it was first for the first time. It was revealed to the public both the fact that there was a letter. And the content of the letter, an actual photocopy of the letter, was revealed about two weeks ago by a member of Knesset Gafni. So, a few background points that we need to uh, put in place: member of Knesset Gafni of the Aguda, the same party as member as minister actually, uh, Litzman, also from the Aguda, but they come from different places. And from different uh, camps within the Aguda, Litzman is more what you would call a hawk or right wing, and Gafni is more of a dove or, or a left wing, more for uh, a territorial compromise and uh, and so forth. So, as this um, internal battle was taking place in uh, the Aguda of Israel, the party, the political party a member of Knesset Gafni figured this is a good opportunity for him to show everybody that he is uh, on the side of... that, I'm sorry, that that Rav Shach actually was on his side. And that Rav Shach, in this letter, takes a dovish um, pro-compromise attitude, and therefore he found this would be a good time to publish it. I don't know if he had it all along or if people knew about it. All I know is that it was never publicly published. I don't I, I don't think anybody had ever heard of it. And um, the fact that it even existed, I, I had not heard anybody discuss in the past. Um, now for the historical background. What was going on around April of 1978 that Rav Shach wrote this letter to uh, Prime Minister Begin? So in November... The previous November of '77, um, Anwar Sadat came to Israel. That was anyone who lived through that period, including myself. That was an earth-shattering moment. It was it, it, it was a revolution of everything that was going on in the Middle East. Here is Sadat, who, not long before that, in '73. Um, started uh, one of the most difficult wars against Israel and he is now stepping off a plane flew straight from Cairo to, uh, to Ben Gurion airport stepping off a plane meeting uh, the Israeli Prime Minister and the dignitaries coming to the Knesset speaking and so forth what Sadat expected was that after that happened Israel would say okay we uh, we make peace we give you the Sinai, and um, and we make peace. In fact, what Sadat even more so expected was that Israel would say, okay, we give away all territory uh, um, from the 1967 uh, boundaries, and, uh, and the whole Arab world makes peace with us. He was very disappointed, Sadat was. I guess he didn't totally understand our mindset, but he was very disappointed. And um, what ended up happening was the Arab world turned its back on Sadat, and Begin was negotiating with Sadat, and uh, Sadat felt uh, cornered. Here uh, he's lost his support in the Arab world, and here the Israelis aren't doing what he expected them to do. Here I came, I came to Knesset, I landed... At your airport, I I shook the hands of all your military. I I visited with Golda Meir, uh, who who was on the other side during 73. Um, And and I came in a mission of peace, and you're not cooperating. So there was a lot of frustration from Sadat and from Jimmy Carter, who was the President of the United States at the time, who was on Sadat's side, without a doubt. He did not like Menachem Begin personally, and um, he definitely felt that, in addition to night liking him personally, he felt that Israel should be uh, conceding whatever Egypt wants. So this period of time, between Sadat's visit and what ultimately happens later the Camp David agreements where uh, President Carter took Sadat and Begin, put them together with uh, uh, their crew, their negotiating crew, and the American negotiators all in a very secluded uh, Camp David, which is the presidential retreat near uh, Washington in Maryland. And there was a total black. There was no, no press, which was very smart. Nobody could leak out what was going on, and it was just a pressure chamber. And ultimately, Menachem Begin, against everything that he believed up until that time, uh, accepted, uh, and reports are that this was like, it was about to explode. It was about, the whole thing was about to explode because Begin refused to uh, allow the destruction of the Israeli settlements the Israeli towns in the northern part of Sinai, the biggest one being Yamit, and um, they were ready for all Israel was ready for all kinds of compromises but Egypt was not ready. Either withdraw from everything or there's no deal. And ultimately Carter pushed Begin so much that Begin ended up conceding. A lot of stories about that. But at the end of the day um, that's what ultimately led, there were still negotiations after that, but ultimately led the signing of the peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. So this letter is in that interim period. After Sadat arrived, and before Camp David, when this negotiation between Israel and Egypt seems to be at a stalemate, and everybody is pressuring everybody as to what to do. And at the beginning, Rav Shach says that his whole life he devoted to studying Torah and only Torah which is an interesting point that he makes without any other studies Meaning he he Shach is saying he didn't study non-Torah studies. For example, let's say, unlike the Rav of Yosef Tov Halevi unlike the Labavitcher Rebbe, and others who who also studied non-Torah, what we call secular or you know general subjects, and um, and he says that he what what he comes to say he believes comes from. Da'at Torah HaTzlulah the pure Daat Torah and um, and only based on on that are we alive today and that that's like the preamble and he says ki kiyum klal Yisrael hu shoneh legamre the existence the survival of Israel meaning the people of Israel, call Israel, is different than with any other one of the nations. The way we behave, the way we operate, has to be different than theirs. What works for the rest of the nations, strategies, policies, and so forth, doesn't work for us. V'hem, the other nations, Nizonim v'kayamim, the other nations are, only exist rak m'berkat Yitzchak avinu v'alchar v'chat techyeh. That is an amazing statement if you ask me. V'hem nizonim v'kayamim rak m'berkat Yitzchak avinu v'alchar v'chat techyeh which is what Yitzchak said to Esav uh, after uh, discovering the whole uh, incident with the brachot you will live on your sword or by your sword You'll live by the sword that's not our way to live by the sword on the other hand points out Rav Shach that the bracha that Yitzchak gave Yaakov bamilim lecha elokim and he quotes it from Bereshit Chavza in Pasuk Chavchet. If we look at it carefully, Nereshe Etzel Berkat Yitzchak L'Eisav Lo Muzkar Sha Lo That in the Bracha that God gives to Esav, it doesn't say anything about God giving him or granting him or blessing him, etc. Rak Shehu Esav Yikach biado Yadou Ve'alchar Ace of whatever he has, he gains by the sword. He doesn't get anything as a, as a bracha from God. And when the Jewish people had to go to war in the ancient times, they had to go and ask the Sanhedrin for permission to go to war. So, it's interesting. It seems that Rav Shach is saying that uh, the nations of the world, other than Israel, are all violent. And whatever they get, whatever sustenance they have, however they exist, it all... Al you live by the sword. It's all gotten by violence, and the Jewish people, whatever they have, they get through the bracha of Hashem. Then he says, "I'm I'm skipping a little bit. It, it doesn't change the." Uh, the content of what we're saying, umize, yesh lahavin. We learn from this. We have to understand. Shigam mashe chazal askuu alenu shalolim wrote baumot ha'ula beumot ha'ula vshalol alot b'chomah zeach v'ra'k she darshu tova tor shel amenu. And now, Rav Shach really is expressing one of the most divisive points that the. Um, we have in the modern time, or we had at least for part of the modern era, with the resurgence of the Jewish people's um, fervor to go to the land of Israel, and the fact that they did, and the different attitudes about that. And Rav Shach is quoting, we'll we'll get into more detail in a minute, the, this Gemara, famous Gemara, it's become famous even more so in the last hundred years, in Ketuvot Tafkuf Yud Aleph, that says that the Jewish people should not rise against the nations. We'll get to that in a moment. And he's saying the only reason that Chazal said it is for our own good. Because ultimately in Kodesh, sinat la'am Yisrael hi sinat olam v'kfu'ah hi bilibam because Chazal knew that the nations of the world will hate us, will hate the Jewish people. It is an eternal hatred and it is implanted in their heart, meaning the way Rav Shach sees the world. There's nothing that the Jews can do that we should live in a friendly way with other nations. But rather, all the other nations of the world ha- have a visceral hate for the Jewish people. The We, the Jewish people, cannot provoke, should not provoke the nations even if we're right. Even if we have a correct uh, a reason, a right reason. For example, even when we say the land of Israel belongs to us, it doesn't matter that we're right. We shouldn't provoke the other nations. Because it will just add another layer of hatred. We'll take a quick break. We'll listen to some music. And we'll come back and discuss. Um, we'll read a little more, and then we'll give the uh, background commentary and so forth to this uh, rather amazing letter, that Rav Shach wrote to Menachem Begin, basically about the uh, negotiations with Anwar Sadat in Egypt back in 1978. It's Igdad Yeh with Avinu. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Segal Network.
2: Yad Oveli Pachad O Shomer Aleinu O Shomer Aleinu
0: Avinu My name is Mayor Weingarten You're tuned to the Zero Show on the Nachum Siegel Network We are discussing this uh, letter that Rav sent to Menachem Begin in uh, April of 1978 And we read through the beginning of it Or about, let's say, about halfway through it So I want to start analyzing it And then we'll get back to the rest of it what is at the base of this letter is the Haredi attitude, the Litvish Yeshivish attitude, which goes back to uh, goes back to Europe, to Eastern Europe in the pre Zionist days, and then immediately once the Zionist movement began. The Zionist movement, the religious Zionists that became part of the movement and the secular Zionists, basically said, we can take the future in our hands. We need to be proactive. Religious Zionism said, it is clear that God is giving us signals that we can return to the land of Israel and the land of Israel will accept us. So we got to do it. In fact, before there was a political Zionist movement founded by Herzl, there were great rabbis like Rav Shmuel, Malover, Shmuel and like um, I'm blanking on the on the other name, but um, Tzvi Hirsch Kalischer, thank you, and um, and the Nitziv, and other great rabbis. Who supported the fact that the Jewish people are returning to the land of Israel? They started something called the Chavavetzion, with Alkali is another name. These were great rabbis who, outside of religious Zionism, you don't hear about anymore because the yeshiva world did not accept their worldview, did not accept their hashkafah. The Nitziv writes in one of his letters it is clear, it's obvious that God is now returning us to the land of Israel and, and beginning the redemption that he promised. Then Itziv wrote that. And he was supportive of the farmers in Israel and so forth. So those who are on that side and then later <clears throat> political Zionism which had had uh, uh, with which the religious world or the Moharedi world had a rift, with which the Mizrahi, which was a movement of religious Zionists, joined, said, now is a time for us, God is giving, well, the religious part said, God is giving us a signal we have to act. We can't be just standing around and saying, we're waiting for a miraculous event to happen, uh, a shofar to blow and Mishael is going to come. We We can start it. And maybe, according to, for example, Rav maybe we were wrong in our assessment that, that we're going to wait around and there'll be this one second in time where the chauffeur will blow and that will be the time of redemption and everything before that is not. Rav says what we're seeing now is that there's a process and it takes time. He didn't know how long it would take. But a hundred years or so after he lived There was a state of Israel So that is one very very basic difference Be proactive or not Those who say not to be proactive In the yeshivish world In the Haredi world And Rav Shach quoted the Gemara that, that it all leans on it's, it's the Gemara by the way That Satmar till this very day Use as the basis for their anti Israel sentiment the Gemara is in Ketuvot, Af, Kuf, Yud, Aleph, and talks about three oaths that God made the Jewish people take. Shaloya, Luyesh, Yisrael, Bachoma. One is that this is understood as that the Jewish people should not forcefully, by force, Return to the land of Israel. Another oath. They shouldn't revolt against the nations of the world, meaning they shouldn't rise up in revolt against the nations of the world, and by doing that, return to the land of Israel and the third the third one is not an oath that God gave to the Jewish people it's an oath that God gave to the non-Jews of the world that they should not be violent they should not torment the Jews too much yotermidai And so, this is clearly a Gemara that supports non-action. We don't use force to go return to the land of Israel. We don't provoke the umot HaOlam, the nations of the world. So, how is it? that the netziv and others suddenly are saying, yeah, well, let's go back to Eretz Israel." And so there are many answers to this. One is, this is an agadata. This is not a halacha. I don't know very many agadatas that we use to, um, to decide halachic decisions, to make halachic decisions based on agadata. But, throughout the generations when we wanted to hang our hat on something this was a Gemara that we did that with. But it's not necessarily binding. It's an an opinion in the Gemara. The second is that what was happening at the time was no longer a revolt against the nations. The Jewish people were returning to the land of Israel buying property Nobody was stopping them. And, as time went on, with the announcement of the Balfour Declaration, which basically said, Britain, which was the world power at the time, sees in in, in good light, so to speak, that the Jewish people should return to the have a Jewish homeland in Palestine or in the land of Israel, that does, away, that does away with these issues. If you had an issue with this, you don't any longer. And after the United Nations vote in 1947, uh, a world body which at the time actually represented the majority of the world. So you have a situation where the United States and Russia, the two superpowers, and the majority of the other countries of the world, said, yes, we vote that there should be a Jewish state in Palestine. Again, that truly does away with these Shalosh fuot. There are those who say that the three are connected. So if the Goyim... If the nations of the world didn't listen, didn't accept the oath, and they did torture us and torment us more more than one can imagine, so then we're also not, not bound by the oaths anymore. So this worldview of Rav Shach comes from this idea that the Jewish people shouldn't start up. And if we need to, if we need to uh, uh, give in, if we need to concede, if we need to give give away land, even Yeshuvim settlements, do it. Do it because we have to basically be quiet and not stir up any any issues. So. If you look at it in a, in, in a, there are those, let's put it this way, there are those who look at it in a historic perspective and say, look, if we would follow that opinion, there would be no state of Israel, there would be no Jewish army, and we would be as vulnerable as we were during the Holocaust when we couldn't fight back. Rav Shach actually addresses that in his letter. Don't think that the Holocaust that that uh, we've gone through was only because we didn't have a state. Meaning, if we would have had a state, the Jews from Europe could have at least some of them ran away, run away, and come to the state of Israel. Part of the problem in Europe was that the Jews had nowhere to run. Lo it's not true, says says Ain The fact that uh, we have a state that's not a secure or guarantee of our security. Even if there would have been, if, if there were to be, which there are already, for, more than five million people if God forbid there is a war between the two superpowers meaning America and Russia what what value would it be that there are 5 million Jews in the land of Israel based on all the uh, war techniques that we have in our time even if we would be strong it would have no value Against a great superpower. So, I'm not sure what he's saying. I'm really not sure. Because the fact that we have 5 million, we don't have 5 million, it really doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is that we have an army and we have a nuclear weapon. We need God to protect us, but we need to do what we need to do and to think that If there would have been a state of Israel that uh, the Holocaust would not have happened, would have happened anyway in the same way, I don't get it. Then he says... That in World War II, when the Germans were literally on, almost on the border of Israel at El Alamein, where they were ultimately defeated, thank God, Rommel and the German army. If they would have made it into the land of Israel, even if there would have been 5 million people, it would be a tremendous chorban. Destruction. It, it, it would be worse here than in somewhere else. So ravshach continues that it would have been worse here in Israel than it was in Eastern Europe when the if the Nazis would have come because one there are no forests here for which where we can run and organize partisans and basically what we have is the, the sea on one side and surrounded by enemies and, and we would have been stuck and We'd have no choice, even if we had five million people. But the part that I don't get is that if we would have an army and we'd have an air force and we, we'd be able to fight like we do now, and God would be on our side, we would fight. We wouldn't have to run into the forests. I don't. I don't get that whole thing. There's no forests, so so it would be worse. I might be misunderstanding it I, I I ask everybody I'm going to post this letter later on read it and if you understand it or see differently please comment post etc and then it says He's saying that God's hand ultimately sort of pushed Hitler to decide to go fight against Russia and by doing that he ended up shooting himself in the foot, so to speak, and was un- and Hitler was unable to destroy us even more. And and as a result of God's Yad Hashem having Hitler go into Russia, that was Laman Hatzilat Shayridat Yisrael. This I also I gotta say I don't understand. We're talking about Yad Hashem I had he went into Russia in order to, to save the. I mean 6 million Jews were killed along the way another point I just want to make beforehand the, um, Roshach mentions the Rambam in Hilchot Melachim uh, and Perak Hay that the Jewish people even when they have to go to war they have to ask the Sanhedrin and the truth is, and I read this in a response by one of the um, religious Zionist rabbis who wrote a response, it, it says sort of like the opposite. It says that in a milchemet mitzvah, which includes milchemet shemet amamim, when the Jewish people first arrived into the land of Israel, milchemet amalek, when we had to fight amalek, and ezrat Yisrael miyatzar shabalav any war where the Jews are defending themselves against an enemy that is attacking Only so in that in that case, milchemet Mitzvah a note so he told by Rashid In a milchemet Mitzvah, you don't have to ask the Baitin. You don't have to ask the Sanhedrin Ella Yotsei Matzmobukol eight. You make a decision and you go out at any time the Haam Latzet and you force the people of Israel to join the army and go out. Only milchemet reshut do you have to is Sanhedrin. What's a milchemet reshut? Milchamashani lachemim shar ha'amim. It's a war that we have with the other nations. Kedei lharchiv gvul Yisrael in order just to have expansion of our borders, not to protect ourselves. Ula harbot bgedula tovish amo and to and to um, in, enhance and increase the reputation of Israel and of akadosh Baruch Hu. so basically Rav says state of Israel would not have helped us during the Holocaust at all, period it was all Yad Hashem and anything we would have done wouldn't have made a difference and Rav probably would agree if we said that he believed that uh, the state of Israel shouldn't have been founded in the first place. We, If we could live in Eretz Israel quietly under the rule of Goyim, that's great, and if not we'll, we'll, you know, find another place to hang. Then he comes to the part where um, the political part. L'chen anichoshev, therefore I believe says Rav Sha'ach. Don't talk so high and mighty, he says to to Prime Minister Begin, who was a well-known orator, by the way. We shouldn't insist on keeping the settlements. We should agree to destroy the settlements and, and so forth. And then he says i want you to understand shalom that if you give up if you concede if you give up territory if you if you destroy yeshuvim and you do it only for the sake of peace that's not a concession a nenu vitur and listen to this hashem Hakol lanu. And at that time, when God will have compassion upon us, and the time of redemption will come, it will all come back to us. Wow. So, what's, that, what's, the, what, what's at the bottom of that? Meaning, whatever happened now, all the miracles that we saw, that's nothing. That's not God remembering us. That's not God bring, starting to bring about the redemption. No. When God will bring about the redemption, then we'll, we'll get this all back. But God gave us this as a result of the Six Day War, which was one big miracle. We've spoken about it many times. One big miracle. It was as if Rav Shach is saying, okay, the six-day war was nice, but that's nothing. It's, it, it's not God coming and bringing the Gula to us. No, it, it's something else. So I got to say that this is one of those chasms that I don't know how it, it would ever be crossed. Between an understanding that says everything that happened in nineteen forty-seven and nineteen forty-eight and nineteen sixty-seven was God's miraculous hand, versus saying, like Satmar, on some level and uh, then in a different way, like the Yeshiva world, it's it's all nothing. It just happened, but there'll come a time when God will remember us, and God will redeem us, and at that point, we'll get back all this territory. Why isn't getting the territory in the first place, in a miraculous way, God's hand? And I'm sure that there are answers to that as well. Okay, I have to stop. I have no choice. I cannot continue, because uh, Yoni is coming up with his show, so I can't run late. I'll God willing continue this next week because there is actually more to the letter and there is more to say. We're going to ask everybody to keep in mind for Rufuah Shlema, Uri Vraham Ben Elisheva Uri Vraham Ben Elisheva Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm a very special thanks as always to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network immediately after this show is Yoni Pollack with his New venture called After Further Review, a new show covering the latest in the world of sports. Followed by an encore presentation of headlines with David Lichtenstein. And then the great Monday Music Marathon. We're going to close out with uh, a new song based on Svardi piut Slichot Ben Adam Malchanir Dam by Ido Portal and Ro Imeir. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie Day, my name is Mayor Weingarten. And I'm reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Oh no, they're just running in a different race.